0: Welcome back to the BOMA, a podcast from the International Livestock Research Institute, where we discuss how sustainable livestock is building better lives in the global south. My name is Elliot Carleton,
1: And I'm Brenda Coromina.
0: Today, we're going to carry on the discussion we started in the previous episode about phages, one approach to tackling antimicrobial resistance, or AMR. AMR occurs when bacteria develop resistance to antimicrobials, such as antibiotics, which makes it so that we can no longer use them to treat disease.
1: Right. So in our last episode, we discussed phage therapy, an alternative way to eliminate bacteria by using viruses instead of antibiotics. This could be one of the many ways to reduce AMR, especially in livestock farming.
0: And for this episode, we're going to take a deeper look into the scale of the AMR problem. So we sat down with Arshni Moodley, an Ilri scientist and an expert on AMR.
1: As well as the science of AMR, we're looking at why some people, especially those living in low-to-middle-income countries, get the worst impacts.
0: But it's important to keep in mind that AMR isn't just a danger to the global south.
2: It's a global problem, and I think we accept that it is a global problem, and there's a general buy-in globally. The question is about how much resources have been invested in addressing this particular topic. And what we can see in high-income countries, the investment has been enormous. If we have to look what has been the investment in low- and middle-income countries, we are far behind. But it's not just a a high-income problem or a low-income problem. It's everybody's problem.
0: Dr. Moodley is a microbiologist by training, and she first started doing AMR research while she was still a graduate student.
2: The project was you can either do disinfectants or you you can try to figure out why this bacteria is resistant to these drugs.
1: Why this bacteria was resistant to these drugs. That's basically what AMR research is about. So basically, if we start
2: from the fact that we get sick by bacterial infections, or rather microorganisms can cause infections in, in humans and animals and plants, and we need to treat those infections. And so we use antimicrobials to treat them. But what happens over time, because these organisms are incredibly amazing, they develop resistance to these particular antimicrobials. And that is essentially, in a nutshell, what antimicrobial resistance is, is when the drugs virtually, they don't work anymore.
1: AMR isn't new. It's a problem that we've been facing for a long time. When Alexander Fleming, who discovered the world's first bacteria killer, penicillin, accepted the Nobel Prize in 1945, he warned that misusing antibiotics could create AMR.
0: And now we're starting to see the devastating consequences.
1: Like we mentioned in the last episode, each year, 700,000 people die of AMR. And 90% of these deaths are in low- and middle-income countries in Africa and Asia.
2: In the 1960s, the SWAN report was was launched. Uh, And basically, that report already then suggested that the use of antibiotics in agriculture was going to become a problem. And now we're kind of seeing the fruits of those predictions, basically. In specific pathogens, you do find multi-drug-resistant strains where You have little to no options really for treatment. So I think we are already at that point uh, in specific countries for specific pathogens.
0: So what happens if we fail to take sufficient action against AMR? What sort of scenarios should we expect to see 20 or 30 years from now?
1: It
2: looks fairly grim. So the O'Neill report projects that by 2015, some 10 million people would die annually as a result of an antimicrobial infection. And the World Bank then tries to look at economically what will be the effect on, on GDP and also global economy. It's expected that AMR would have a significant effect on that by shrinking the economy, uh, which will be devastating, right? We are more people. We will be, continue to be more people. So how do we balance that? So right now, it's a lot of numbers, but the projections are fairly grim.
1: Yeah, that's extremely grim. So what can we do about this?
2: When we look at any action plan, there are five key areas that one has to address. One is about raising knowledge amongst the different stakeholders. Community, farmers, veterinarians, policymakers, everybody should be aware that this is a problem and how does it arise and what can one do in order to mitigate that. The other thing is surveillance. Surveillance is incredibly crucial. How do you know that your intervention is working if you don't have baseline data or any data to compare it to? And also, where should you make the intervention? We don't have an infinite amount of money, so we need to target it. And where should that target be so that it's cost effective? The other thing is about optimized treatment, both in the human side and in the animal side. And optimized treatment comes into play when we talk about diagnostics making sure you're making treatment decisions that are evidence-based. So you take a sample, you send it to the lab, and you, you know that it's an E. coli that's going to respond to this particular drug. And the other thing is about infection prevention and control. So if we can reduce the burden of infection, either through you know, good decontamination, good hygiene measures, we use vaccinations, these are all kind of things that have to be going on almost simultaneously in order to, to be able to control AMR. And what has been done is that a little bit of everything, we're raising the awareness amongst the different uh, stakeholders. We're trying to, you know, uh, capture data on how much drugs are being used, why are they being used, uh, and, and how much resistance is there, and how is resistance transferring through the different uh, ecological compartments. Another thing is about, yes, how do we reduce the burden of infections? What do we need to do there? Um, so so a little bit of everything is is happening in different countries. So, you know, almost all countries now do have a national strategy on how to address antimicrobial resistance. So there is a, a plan, it's about executing the plan now, which is always the challenge.
1: And the challenge is that countries already have different problems and priorities.
2: So I think if you had to ask a, a low and middle-income country what are their health priorities. Uh, they're likely to give you things like HIV, tuberculosis, malaria, respiratory infections. I mean, infectious diseases, right? If you had to ask a high-income country what are their health priorities, it's likely to be obesity, something related to that. Very, very different priorities. You know, infectious diseases, the burden is not the same in high-income countries as in low-income countries. And so, AMR then becomes another problem for 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 low and middle income countries to address and you can't address AMR without having actually having good systems in place and that was what you know allowed high income countries to implement a lot of the AMR uh, or AMU reducing interventions they already had the existing infrastructure and then they built upon that we don't have those same infrastructures and so We can't add another problem. AMR, I feel, is like another problem for low- and middle-income countries to address, and they simply don't have the resources to invest solely on this problem.
1: It sounds like a problem of whether countries can afford to prioritize AMR. So what can these countries actually do to address it? Arshni said something about a surveillance system earlier.
0: Yeah, so that's essentially a monitoring system that countries can use to collect data about potential AMR microbes and then share that data with each other.
2: In order to, to develop treatment guidelines, you have to know firstly what is the burden of infections. So until you have good surveillance data to show you what are the trends of resistance in key pathogens, it would be very difficult to, uh, to come up with a treatment guideline. So basically, countries do have a national action plan of which part of the national action plan is the need in, to conduct surveillance. That's there. But whether countries in, in the low and middle income context have a functional system, I'd say no. Uh, it, it is incredibly expensive to have a yearly uh, monitoring uh, system. I think for Kenya, it was estimated in just the human side to be about two million dollars to implement a surveillance program in humans. But ultimately, what we want is not just human. We also want the same in animals, and we also want it in our food. And we want an integrated system. Uh, and, and, and I don't think countries have the resources to do that. So as it stands now, I would say there is no annual surveillance program.
0: And I think we also have to consider the specific challenges that exist between AMR and the livestock sector. Many people around the world, including farmers in the Global South, tend to overuse or misuse antibiotics in their livestock, to prevent infection, to treat disease, or even just to make their animals grow faster.
1: Okay, so, obvious question. Why can't we just restrict the amount of antibiotics that farmers can use on their livestock?
2: It's a combination of, of of problems. One thing is that it, it, particularly the users of the drug may not know how to use them correctly. Another thing is that they may not have alternatives to improve their production system or their production practices. And therefore, this is a very easy tool to use rather than maybe investing in good biosecurity, uh, routine vaccinations, good herd health, uh, and things like that. Uh, this is just the... The easy way out. So it's it's much more easier to go down to your aggravate and buy a, you know a dose of an antibiotic and you give that to your animals than understanding what is the root cause and being able to then invest in that. A lot of the farmers that we work with at Ilri are smallholder farmers. They are financially insecure and may not necessarily have the finances or the resources in order to implement in good foundation.
0: So, like Arshni outlined. There are things we can do to address AMR. We can raise awareness of what AMR is, show people how to use antimicrobials properly, and survey what's happening on farms. But there's also clearly an economic component to all of this. Many people simply can't afford to change their farming practices without also jeopardizing their livelihoods.
2: That's one of the things that we're talking a lot about. We're asking farmers to change their practice to a Better production practice ultimately, so you reduce the burden of infection on your farm, and at the same time that will then lead to a reduction of antimicrobial use and hopefully then a, a reduction in the selection of resistance on your farm. But f- these farmers are sort of living on the razor edge of you know financial insecurity, and so it 's an investment to start the production, and so they may not have the capital in order to invest in anything. And they don't know whether they will get the returns because maybe, you know, the price of the, uh, of the commodity is very low and it's unlikely that they would be able to get it. So they're very conscious about how much is this new intervention that we're asking them to do and whether it would be profitable for them in the greater scheme of things.
1: The problem is bigger than just getting farmers to invest in healthier practices, though.
0: Right. Consider the ways a country can prevent infection in the first place or treat the infection once it occurs.
2: The challenge is that in low- and middle-income countries, access to health care is, 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 a, is a major problem. And so if we are not able to address that, and, and also the, the foundations of you know anything that I, in order to improve sanitation, access to clean water, good food, so we can reduce the burden of infection, if we don't address those bits there, you're going to have antimicrobial use, and you also select for resistance, very high level of resistance in these communities. So that is the public health crisis. It's not just the AMR, it's the whole healthcare system. You can't take away the antibiotic if these individuals cannot access healthcare facilities.
1: And that's also why lower income countries are more affected by AMR.
2: So it really is a very fine balance, and I think we need to be very mindful of the fact that the the policies or the interventions that were taken in high-income countries is simply not going to work here because the context is different. So we really need to understand the context and come up with a context-specific intervention.
1: We need to remember that AMR is a one-health problem that requires a one-health approach because at the end of the day, we're all connected.
2: We use the same type of drugs in humans as well as in animals as well as in uh, in crop production systems, in plant systems, and so the the resistance that are developing individually in these different systems are the same, and because we are sharing and resistant genes are mobile, you know they're able to transfer from one organism to another, and we live we don't live in our little isolation we we live together with all the other sectors. And that's what makes it One Health. We use the same drugs, same resistance is, is occurring, and the resistance are being shared between the different sectors.
0: And resistance can reach places you maybe wouldn't expect.
2: So there was a really nice paper that was published a few years ago looking at a village in, in the Amazon. So a village that had not been treated, and they live in an isolated area, but yet they were able to find pathogenic bacteria carrying resistance of clinical importance. How did it get there? In theory, we don't live in isolation. We share an environment, birds flying overhead, uh, water, things like that. So why should somebody in Europe care about resistance here in Africa? Well, we live in a global system. Our food travels. I mean, in, in, in Europe, you can buy you know bananas from South America. Our food can carry antibiotic-resistant organisms. But at the same time, you have wild birds that are flying overhead, and they have been shown to carry uh, you know, drug-resistant organisms that are clinically relevant. We also travel. I mean, we like tourism. We come here, we eat the food, we drink the water. So we are exposed. And travel is actually uh, one of the risk factors for bringing drug-resistant uh, organisms back home.
0: Okay, so where does all this leave us? How do we move forward and address these problems, given that, as we've mentioned, the problems associated with AMR look vastly different across the world?
2: I think that that is the challenge and that is the discussion now. How do you make AMR a priority, a political priority? Because ultimately what you need is investment within the area. And what should that investment be? And what is the cost benefit? And who should make that investment? I think these are all the sort of the the questions that we need to be asking ourselves and being able to answer.
1: Low- and middle-income countries are disproportionately affected due to things like a lack of infrastructure, surveillance, and money. With other problems at bay, investing in AMR is difficult, but Arshni gives us the first few steps policymakers can take.
0: And maybe a decent surveillance system would be a good starting point for many countries. Although, the question still stands, where is that funding going to come from?
1: And that's definitely part of the challenge. What's clear is that it's not an insurmountable issue. There are clear opportunities to bridge those gaps, but those opportunities need to be taken sooner rather than later.
0: And most importantly, this is not a problem that is going to be solved in isolation because we are all connected. And I think that's a great place to leave off for today. Thank you so much to Dr. Arshni Moodley for taking the time to discuss AMR with us.
1: And thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope that you'll leave us a review, and please don't forget to subscribe.
0: We'll catch you next time on The Boma. I'm Elliot Carleton,
1: And I'm Brenda Coromino.